we're going to hit an important topic to me in thinking about our life together as a church family. Um, There are times in ministry where you feel like uh, you're in way over your head. And uh, and I was reading uh, I was reading from the Desert Fathers, and it was uh, a collection of sayings that they came up with. These guys all hid out in the middle of nowhere, and they came up with a bunch of wise things to say. And it was a pretty simple thing. If the only if you only talk to people, their consolation will have to be enough for you. And what uh, what they were alluding to is if you never take time to be with God. Uh, you're never going to get his consolation. And so if you're only spending time with people, uh, they're, they're either compliments of you or they're uh, complaints about you. That's all you're going to get. But if you spend time with God, uh, you will receive his consolation, his encouragement. Uh, there are times when um, I am misguided. There are times when uh, I have pride and arrogance and I believe this false thing. And the false thing that I can believe and function in is that this whole thing is hinging on whether or not you like me and if you're happy with how things are going. Nothing could be uh, further from the truth of what uh, is scripturally true about what holds us together as a church family. What holds us together as a church family is Jesus Christ and His Spirit that's working and living among each and every one of us to unite us, to guide us towards him. It's Christ's spirit that strengthens the church. Jesus instructed us that he's the cornerstone. We know from scripture and Paul that it's a body of Christ. It's Christ that holds us together. But still, there are these moments where it feels like this whole thing is hanging on by a thread and I'm the one that's trying to hang on to it. And so I offer this sermon series as an encouragement, as an encouragement to all of us and remind us of a few important truths. Foremost is that Jesus is our foundation, that he's the founder of the church and he has given us his spirit to guide us and strengthen us and he is our foundation. What I want to encourage us with is I wanted to make sure that I articulated that clearly, that I believe that this whole thing rides on him and his spirit and our trust in him and what God has given us. Uh, But there are things that we can be doing that will help sustain our community, that there are attitudes and there are things that are just sort of intrinsic in having a church family function and function well. And so what does a healthy church family look like? What is it that we, are, we should be doing? What are things that should uh, really help build and stir on faith and encouragement? Uh, so I recently read a book by Christina Pohl, P-O-H-L, and she wrote a, a book called Living in Community, Four Practices, for, uh, Four Practices to Sustain Us. So what are some sustaining things that help us and encourage us along to walk faithfully with Christ and encourage one another? And she says that there are four practices of a church uh, that live in community together. And I think when you hear them, you'll think, this 
this is good and let's encourage one another in this. So the four things are gratitude, hospitality, promise keeping, and truth telling. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend four weeks talking about each of those topics individually. Gratitude, promise keeping, hospitality, and truth telling. And hopefully... Uh, within all of that, it'll be a topical series and we'll kind of look at some scriptures and hopefully uh, we're letting scripture guide us and his spirit. Uh, but to just encourage us along in things that we should be doing as a congregation to help sustain the community that we all long for. If you look at our culture, you will see that people are grasping for community. People are looking for connections and encouragement. In a world filled with broken families, people are looking for and searching for connections and meaningful family where their world isn't broken, but it's mended. What I appreciated about uh, Christina's book is she articulated that our very best witness in today's world is a community of people who love one another. When I think about uh, the work that my brother has in New York, um, I feel like he has an uphill battle because so much of it is individually driven on some of his uh, things that he has to do to witness to uh, New Yorkers who don't know Christ. And it, he's missing, I feel like, uh, in some ways, and I was trying to encourage him about, you know, getting the community formed. And as soon as you get the community formed, then people get to see the gospel in action. They get to see the light. They get to see and experience what it's like to have your brokenness not held against you, but, uh, but to encourage you and build you up and love you and be a part of the family. Being a part of the family of believers is the greatest witness tool that we have as Christians today. In a world of brokenness and sorrow and sadness, we have the opportunity to be a beacon of light and encouragement in a dark and hurting world. I think about what undermines community today. What are things that get in the way of community and being the church that God calls us are some things that are totally outside of our control. And I think that's the reason why sometimes I feel like I'm just hanging on to things by a thread. Transiency is uh, just the upward mobility of people. There are the, we are a mobile culture, and it's been changing rapidly since the invention of the automobile. We can go farther, faster, um, and... And now that our world, like, it's no big deal for us to travel to California in the blink of an eye. We can be there. And it's, well, it would be nice if it was a blink of the eye, but uh, you know what I mean. A figure of speech. Hopefully it's coming soon. We get the rocket train going. I'm, I've derailed. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. That was a dad pun. That was for all of you. You can hang on to that one. Uh, I was, that, was just, that was just spur of the moment, too. I mean, that was just right there. That was full-on dad. But uh, anyways, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the increased transiency of our culture, the, the, just the ability to be mobile, um, just thinking about our own congregation. We had, we had two families in the last year uh, that was uh, a family of six and a family of, of four. That's ten people that moved because... Uh, because of job opportunities and job changes. And we think, you think about uh, just how easy it is for us to move and find new jobs and new careers. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the deal. When new folks come and want to be a part of our church family, you know what the first question they ask? 
how long are you going to stay? They because I'm so great, they don't want it without me, right? No, but there's that question, and some of it is just you know not understanding Christian churches and how we work. Like you're stuck with me until you're sick with me, you know, and uh, you know that I'm not going to be moved around. And so some of it is that, but I think some of it is this underlying thing: is are you going to be here? Are you going to um, keep yourself here and have roots? Are you going to stick it out even when people are grumpy? And hopefully I've shown, yes, I will, even, even though we're all kind of grumpy sometimes. But they want to know, are you going to be a part of it? Community, the critical component to community is sort of sustained growth over a long period of time. The reason why uh, family, family relationships are what they are is because you are stuck with them and they keep going and you have a long storied history together. You can go on a short-term mission trip and you can build friendship immediately because it's this quick thing like you're in this mess together. You, but, what, but that is a quick sort of flash-in-the-pan relationship where it'll be over or you know, if, you, if you foster it over a long period of time, it turns into something. Community, true community and family, is something that as you keep growing together and keep connecting over a long period of time, True community is formed over a long-storied shared grievances and problems and victories and joys. It comes through a long period of time. And so you start thinking about transiency and people just moving and mobility. uh, It sort of undermines the sense of, are we going to be able to grow closer together over a long period of time? Unfortunately for us, we have some lifers with us, people who have... uh, you know, been here since two weeks of age, maybe even a couple days of age, and they've been here all along. And this, uh, this is a sign of strength and encouragement and reminders that, you know, they, they were here before, uh, uh, before, and they are sort of steadfast and faithful. And these things are critical to growing biblical community that's strong together. I think about other things that uh, undermine, undermine our sort of community life together, if there's transiency causes us uh, to be hesitant, uh, make it difficult to grow closer together, we don't know how long you're going to be here together, then the other thing that sort of undermines community is our busyness. If, in, if increased mobility keeps us from forging relationships, it's busyness that keeps us from forging deeper and stronger bonds together. One, we think you won't be here for very long, and two, we don't have enough time for each other. And so you think about, um, you know, a frustrating thing for uh, for me was there was a new family that was uh, wanting to have lunch with us. We were planning a month out, you know, trying to figure out how to get our schedules to line up. And so this isn't me pointing my finger at you. I have three more pointing back at me. That busyness undermines our community life together and trying to form relationships and friendships and things that can help us. And ultimately, those are cultural things, but deep down at the heart of it, sin is something that undermines our life together. Ultimately, it's sin that will disrupt us the most. We grow closer together, and we can, instead of growing closer together in love, we can grow closer together in our envy, you know, we don't envy Bill Gates. We envy Bill, our neighbor. 
We don't envy something that we can't attain. We envy what's right next to us and we think, well, why not me? And so there are things that just human nature-wise that sort of undermine the community life that we can have together. And so as I think about all of these things, and there are so many more, I've only touched on the list of things that sort of undermine us, I would like to offer up the encouragement of four sustaining uh, practices to help sustain us. Four things that if we sort of take them on and say, you know, if I have a little bit more gratitude, if I'm a little more hospitable, if I'm a little more uh, truthful, and a little more faithful, we could really gain some positive momentum to help us and sustain us in biblical community together. And so foremost, the question for you would be, is that something you want? Do you want to have Christian community that loves one another and loves one another well? And so I offer humbly uh, Christine Poles living in community for practices to help sustain us. And so let's talk about gratitude. I thought uh, gratitude would be uh, the best one to sort of kick off our, uh, our conversation together. Uh, who here has um, ever complained about something? Am I, the, uh, am I the only one? You know, churches, uh, you would think that we would be void of complaint. You know, we have, uh, <laughs> uh, you would think that we would, you know, not have anything to complain about, but it, sure enough, we, we can have plenty of things to complain about. You just form a church committee and you can find plenty of things uh, to complain about. Uh, we complain about the sanctuary being too hot or too cold. It's never just right. Complain about the lighting. It's too dark or too bright. We wouldn't complain about music. I mean, that's not something churches complain about. Uh, you didn't complain about the preacher. He wasn't, he wasn't deep enough in the word. Oh, it was too fluffy. Uh, he didn't connect with me or uh, whatever, you know. I know you would never complain about me, but, you know, other preachers. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, so we go into uh, we go into the grocery store, and you know we have no complaints about anything. Everything's just right. You get in, you know, I get into Walmart and I turn into the biggest whining, complaining person you would ever meet. Like Wendy just won't go with me into Walmart. I'm just not, like I'm just not a very pleasant person, you know. And so uh, we are familiar with complaints. We're so bad at complaining. Uh, that when people ask us how we are doing and we're actually doing really well, what do we say? No complaints. It's, like we're com it's almost like we're complaining that we don't have something to complain about. And so I, I was thinking about the spirit of gratitude. Thinking about the spirit of gratitude and what, what that can do for us. You see, I believe that, um, I believe that complaining is contagious. I also believe that gratitude is contagious. You know, so if you start rolling with the complaints, it's kind of like, yeah, the complaint train is running. But if we start articulating our gratitude, our gratefulness, if we have something that we're happy about, something that, uh, that is worthy of praising God over, I think that that can be contagious too, that people would start picking up on it. Uh, there, uh, we're not the first people to be complainers, and we're not the first people to have uh, uh, to be complaining and really have no business to be complaining about anything. Uh, if you go back to the story of the Israelites 
and you just you just look at their life those folks really liked to complain to god they were they were known as grumblers um maybe you're known as a grumbler and you need to repent i don't know but you know the grumbling type well the israelites they have just been freed from egypt and when they are uh, traveling through the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land they like to complain to god and they look at their situation and they are uh, uh, they are approaching or they've uh, they've gone through the red sea and they're on their way to the promised land and they start complaining and whining god has just miraculously delivered them from egypt they've been called out of slavery and they've been walking for a long time, and this is in Exodus 14, 15, 16, 17, and that chunk, there's a whole lot of complaining that goes on. And like, God, you're great, and you're, you've been faithful to us, and you've delivered us, but uh, we're thirsty. And they show up to uh, Mara, which is Hebrew for bitter, and what do you know, their water in Mara is bitter. And they start complaining. Like, surely there should be a fresh water source here, God. And they, be, they lift up their complaints to Moses and to God, and they begin grumbling and complaining. And he, Moses, he strikes the water, or he strikes the rock, and there's good fresh water, and it's, and it's wonderful. Well, you think that that would be enough. They've delivered them from, uh, God's delivered them from slavery. He's protected them from mighty pharaoh he's shown himself to be mighty and faithful god he's given them fresh water well now they're hungry no one's ever complained about being hungry right whining complaining i've already done it five times this morning you know it's like well so now they're hungry and they start their complaints and they start their grumbling and sure enough god provides them manna from heaven and and sends quail in for meat in the or in the evening you know, so, so if you look at the complaining of the Israelites, here's something that you pick up on. And complaining and grumbling is forgetfulness. It's forgetfulness of God's faithfulness. It's forgetfulness that God is with us, that God cares deeply for us, and that God was leading the Israelites, and God is still leading us today. And so when I think about our lives and thinking about all of the things that might, um, might help us the most, I think it's remembering. Remembering that God is faithful. In Exodus 15:13, it says, In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The Israelites needed to keep reminding themselves of Exodus 15:13. In your unfailing love, you will lead your people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy, holy dwelling. Ingratitude happens when we take our eyes off the faithfulness of God. Ingratitude is the result of forgetfulness. I was thinking about um, just sort of enemies to gratitude. Like, why am I not more thankful? Why am I not more quick to offer praise and, and glory to God? And I think there's three things that happen. A spirit of entitlement. When I feel like I deserve this. God, you've seen what I've put in. I deserve this. It's an enemy to gratitude when I think that I, uh, when I have a skewed sense of entitlement. 
I actually did a little bit of preacher work on this. I got three E's for the enemies of gratitude. It didn't make your notes because it was a spur-of-the-moment Jesus thing in the middle of the night. So no credit here. But three enemies to gratitude is entitlement, envy. So not, not just the I deserve this, but they don't deserve it, I do. And then the third uh, enemy, I had to work on this one a little bit, but unmet expectation, where we think, why haven't I gotten what I deserve? Why hasn't it happened yet? And when I am ungrateful, when I am complaining, when I am most frustrated, when I am most low, I think about these three things in my life, unmet expectations, envy, and entitlement and so I think we can all wrestle with that again I'm not pointing fingers I have three four more pointing back at me and so I want to think about where does true gratitude come from I believe gratitude comes from mercy the mercy of God the benevolent kindness of a merciful God who hasn't given up on us who has done all he can to redeem and save each and every one of us. My gratitude comes and is rooted in in the forgiveness of the cross of Christ. That if I want to grow in gratitude, I ought to look to the cross. I look at grace. That grace and gratitude are almost synonymous with one another, sharing, uh, sharing the same root word, Grace, grace, gratuity, this unmerited favor and blessing of God. And it's the cross of Christ will help grow gratitude in me, the sacrificial love of Christ. I'd like to read with you Colossians 1, 9. And I think that this helps pull together what I'm trying to say. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's called us from an old life into a new life. And he says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you, who's invited you in to be a part of his family. It's a relationship with God. And it's remembering his faithfulness that stirs thanksgiving in us. And so this is why I believe Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is critical for us to remember this amazing thing that God did. That we would be united in our sharing together in the remembrance of God's faithfulness. You see, when God delivered the Israelites on the other side of the Jordan... 
after they fell apart at Mara and they complained there, and after they're all of the whining and complaining for 40 years of wandering in the desert, they get onto the other side of the Jordan River. Joshua finally delivers them over on the other side. And God says, Joshua, go build an altar. And they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River and they went and they built an altar. And the purpose of that altar was to remember God's deliverance. And the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember God's deliverance. And we remember it every day, giving thanks and glory to God for saving us from our sins and inviting us to be a part of God's family. When we grow in our gratitude, Christina Pohl says that we will begin to notice what is good and beautiful. We become increasingly more content. We feel blessed and we're eager to bless others in return. We delight in others. Individuals and their contributions are acknowledged and honored. And we share in the story of God's faithfulness. Complaining is contagious. So is thanksgiving. And so I wanted to encourage us to practice gratitude. Kids, what's this? It's a paintbrush. Who's ever gone painting and you have a wall to paint? Right? Gary, you've painted a couple times. As soon as you get a paintbrush in your hand, you know, you have your wall that you're going to paint. And this is what you've gotten the paintbrush for. But as soon as you have a paintbrush in your hand, what happens? you notice five other walls that need to be painted or a little nick here or a little nick there and there's things that you need to be painting. That's all this little sermon illustration is for is to tell you that if we would take up a spirit of gratitude instead of a spirit of complaining, instead of looking at every which wall, I think that the complaining and being grateful is just like painting. that you can look at every situation and you can say, man, this sucks, or I hate this, or you whine about whatever it is that you want to whine about. Sorry that I said that word, Oliver. Or we can look at every situation with a sort of sense of, what can I be grateful for? I want a spirit of gratitude where I begin to notice things to be grateful for. And so I have a slew of suggestions. Pick one and have fun. The first thing is just simply to pay attention, perhaps just getting the paintbrush in your hand, saying, I'm going to work on being more grateful. The other things that we can do is just challenge ourselves to talk to others about what we're thankful for. I have an idea. Can you get on social media and say what you're thankful for? You know, sometimes we, it says the question on the top of Facebook, what's on your mind? It would be nice if what was on your mind was what you're grateful for and you share it with others. And think about ways to challenge ourselves to be thankful. Write thank you notes, the lost, the lost art of thank you notes. You can journal your thanksgivings. If you're going to sit down and write about it, then it'll mean you're thinking about those things throughout the day. There's the thousand thanksgiving challenge. I think my math is correct. There's 52 weeks in a year. If you come up with 20 things you're thankful for in a week, 20 different things, and you do it for a year, you will have 1,000 Thanksgivings. 20 times 50 is 1,000, right? I'm getting nods. I, I think that sounds right. There's enough zeros there. 
but a thousand thanksgivings. And what if you did that over the course of your life? There's that wonderful song, Ten Thousand Reasons and Forevermore. How many reasons do we have to love God? How many things has God blessed us and cared for us? And I hope you notice this is not about the abundance of resources. Being thankful is not about trying to get more. It's about being thankful for what you have. Some of the most thankful people I've ever met have been in absolute poverty. Because every moment they have life is a blessing. And they thank God for each new day. And I just wonder, I just wonder if what would happen if a congregation were to say, you know, we're going to be thankful. We're going to express gratitude and praise to one another. Who are you thankful for in this room? Who are you thankful for that maybe they're not in this room today, but they've been a part of our church family? Can you tell them thank you? Can you tell them I appreciate you? You know, one of the reasons why companies like Chick-fil-A do so well is it actually seems like they're happy you're here and you want their chicken. Are we happy that each person is here today? And we have expressed have we expressed that in a meaningful and honest way? Paul he challenged the church to be a thankful people that we would grow in our thanksgiving and in our prayers and our petitions, that we'd always give our thanksgiving to God. Today, I want to simply challenge you. Will you be grateful and find ways to say thank you to the people in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him because he is our Lord and our King and our Savior. He's the one who has brought us together as family. And God, you have sent your son to redeem and seek and save the lost. God, help us to have a spirit of gratitude, knowing, God, that this is something that will sustain us and build Christian community in a way, a way that would be honoring to you. And we know, we know that we are standing on the foundation of Christ that he is our cornerstone and it's your spirit at work in us that transforms us and changes us. And God, we, we hope that that's not mere lip service to you, that our lives would be conformed and transformed to you. That you would continue to build us up, as you say in Paul, with, uh, through Paul and Ephesians, that we would grow in maturity and likeness in the image of Christ. God, thank you for loving us as we are, but wanting to see us grow and grow together and be faithful and be your body. Help us to love you and seek you and always remember you. God, we don't want to be ungracious, ungrateful people. So help us to not forget and remember you and all you've done. Help us to have eyes to see and articulate our love and our joy that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Paul would frequently encourage the churches. In 1 Corinthians 1.4, it says, I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, he opens, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians, he encourages us, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. We are the beloved and the redeemed. Gratitude begins with grace, from God taking us from death and bringing us to new life. If you want the peace of Christ, If you want a thankful spirit within you, come and believe and find life in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing.